This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you listening for the first time. We are going to play the conclusion of our talking shop session that I had with Manisha, and we are not going to waste any time. We're going to dive right in. Uh, This is a really energetic, it's a powerful session. So enjoy. Let's get started. So that was excellent. What you mentioned about the mentoring journey, that was some really fantastic stuff. And it really bugs me sometimes when I I see uh, how the concept of mentoring it's really being trivialized today. A lot of people bring up mentoring. They don't they don't even know what they mean when they're saying mentoring. So I love to hear about your what, what you've done from a mentoring perspective. And that that's been great. So I think I think people are gonna love having learned about that. Next topic up, uh something else that came up when we were warming up was the you talked about UX as it comes to brand equity. And I think that that's also something that's fantastic. I think he has some great things to say from a thought leadership perspective about that topic. So go ahead and take it away and just elaborate on your your thoughts on UX and brand equity. Yeah. Thanks. Uh I it's a it's a topic that is close to my heart simply because brand branding or brand as we think from a professional standpoint is different than a consumer. A consumer does not actively think of a brand or its brand equity, but in, you know, is experiencing that through the different touch points, you know, why they prefer one product versus, you know, to another or one service to another. Uh, They equate those experiences over time and that's the brand equity right and when you think about it from a user experience standpoint especially for digital products the the ease of use the usefulness the value that they are you know uh, uh, people are provided is the brand equity. So I think as UX designers, we really need to think about the contribution that UX is making towards your brand equity or the evolution of your brand as well. Yes, yes. So I think that that should be something designers are conscious of and take pride in building. Absolutely. And I know I mentioned that the same thing when I'm talking about UX strategy. And and a lot of times we don't have UX strategy on our radar. And so many people are so busy looking at the work, again, what we do on this podcast all the time, that there's a lot of other elements, a lot of other aspects, a lot of nuances associated with UX that get missed. And, And when we miss it and we don't deliberately engage, We're missing opportunities. We're missing opportunities to make impact. We're missing opportunities to 
sort of embed ourselves in the hearts of the decision makers in our organizations who think that all we do is make things look pretty or that we just design things. We are leaders. UXers are leaders, but people have to evolve to a point where they're ready to function at a leadership level. And and when we do, wow, the impact we can have, it's off the charts. It's off the charts. So yeah, this is definitely the the brand equity piece, knowing that we're always we're always driving some type of brand recognition with the work that we do for the discipline that we're engaged with, if we'll just take the time to pay attention to, to it and engage. I, I think that that's fantastic. Another topic you brought up, which I know people are going to love to hear this as well. You spent you spent some time telling me about how you transitioned into leadership as a UX leader. And, and if I remember correctly, also you may, you, you talked about, I think it, it sort of also piggybacks on the, or piggybacks I should, on the, on the mentoring piece that helping people to be aware of making transitions, if I remember correctly, but correct me if I'm wrong, but, but, but uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your thoughts with regard to transitioning into leadership. I think you have some great things to say here that folks will value as well. One thing that designers or the UX community in general needs to think about is their career trajectory and what they believe their strengths are. For me, it was more accidental when people <laughs> I people that were surrounding me, especially leaders, uh, saw some of those traits yep. within me and actually singled me out. I was happy doing a lot of the design work. I didn't consciously think about going into leadership. So again, I'm coming from, you know, a privileged position here of being singled out. It's not that easy for a lot of t- uh, for a lot of individuals. Mm-hmm. But what I was uh what I learned was that Yes, I do have that ability uh, uh, of, you know, building teams, building, uh, you know, scaling teams, rallying people, motivating. And so I sort of worked on those skills and then transitioned. I also learned a lot from the leaders that were supporting me at that time. What I did realize, too, is that while that's a great career trajectory, it's not the only one. And that actually gave me pause. It actually made me feel good because not everyone is cut out to be a leader or a manager. Right. Uh, But you will have just as great opportunities if you continue down the individual contributor path and see just as strong a success path, you know, be continuing being a, an individual contributor, but simply at a higher level. Yes. You're going to be compensated. You're going to have the same impact uh, you will likely have the same job satisfaction as well. 
I mm. think that as designers, we need to be designers or researchers. Uh, we need to be aware that we have those options and really see what's your calling, right? And playing to your strengths. Yes. I must have wasted oh, years in <laughs> trying to work on my weaknesses. Uh -huh. Instead, I should have pivoted a lot sooner into just playing to my strengths. And once I realized the true value of that, I've just never looked back and I've stopped fussing about the fact that <laughs> I'm never going to be a coder. Uh, you know, or that I'm not going to uh, be able to do a lot of other things that people would expect or that I falsely expected myself to believe that I needed to do. Yeah. It's funny hearing you say that reminds me of how, uh, I mean, we have to have a strategy to grow, right? We yeah. And it needs to be deliberate. And and but you when you say that, and I start chuckling because it reminded me, many of us who were doing UX stumbled into it. Yeah. Before it was called UX, it we were we we stumbled into it. You listen to the Jesse James Garretts of the world and the Jacob Nielsen's of the world and the Susan Weinshanks of the world. Everybody stumbled into this. It didn't exist. In the mid '90s, and then these positions slowly start to pop up everywhere. And and what did we do back then? Did we work on our weaknesses? You know what? No, we didn't know what they were. <laughs> we had yeah. no idea. And if you take that same model and look at the, everything you just mentioned, take that same model, people move to the top of the UX food chain, so to speak by doing exactly what you just said, just riding on their strengths. And as we stumbled into UX, we will stumble into opportunities to strengthen our weaknesses naturally. It, it's going to happen organically. Something is going to come up. I mean, I, I think about back on my, my, my back in the mid-2000s, and I was working at, for a large digital creative agency, and the iPhone came up. Now, when the iPhone came out, we were, of course, already working on websites. We were also working on interactive TV, and we were working on placement of advertisements in, t in, in gaming. We were working on, I did some work for USA Networks as a, as a UX consultant, where they had a TV show that had a game, a role-playing game that people could engage with. Uh, and, and when people were doing this, they needed to have, I mean, these opportunities came up. Were you sitting around thinking about being a consultant to help optimize the user experience for a role-playing game? Who was thinking about that? It's something that just came up. We're going to, the same thing will happen to us today in 2023. It's no different. If you know that you're strong at certain things, you've assessed who you are, you know you have a stronger personal UX maturity when it comes to certain things, and you know that you don't when it comes to other things, there will be opportunities that will arise that will force you to get better at something in order to deliver quality and to deliver value. So, you know, when you, when you, when you, when we choose in and of ourselves what to work on, and it's not that we can't, but when we choose it, it could be time wasted. 
if you focus on getting even better at your strengths, I mean, you could really almost go either way, but don't get so caught up in working on your weaknesses that you fail to realize that you're going to have opportunities that are going to, that are going to arise that will force you to get better. And, and if you're ready for it, you will rise to the challenge. So I, I absolutely love that. We, we, we don't have yeah. to go one particular way to, to make ourselves better or to get better. It's, it's, it's not, it's not really. I, I finally realized just how much anxiety I was introducing into my own life yes exactly by stressing over things that were not coming to me naturally i <laughs> uh forcing myself to learn how to code for instance and uh you know deluding myself by thinking that i will somehow be a better professional if i know how to design and code Yep. Uh, and actually somehow, uh, you know, falsely like going down that path where I started having symptoms of, imp you know, like imposter syndrome even, right? Because you're trying to force yourself to do something that you know you're not going to be good at yeah. or that you know uh, does not come to you easily. And it was... After I finally realized that I've been <laughs> stressing about the wrong thing, I just instead focused on my strengths mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, getting better at those every day. And I have not looked back since. Yeah. And it's funny. Everybody has strengths, right? Oh, absolutely. Everybody does. It's like, and, and, and we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't take our strengths for granted. So they do need to be cultivated. Uh, and something else that hit me when you were talking about the working on the different weaknesses and such is that can you work on those weaknesses? And again, I'm not saying not to. Right. But yeah. but when you do, how often when you're working on developing those weaknesses, how often, how many opportunities do you have for assessment while you're developing those weaknesses? If it's a weakness of yours, how do you know how you're doing? Which can make it even more difficult. And, and I almost, met, I completely forgot to mention one of the points I was trying to get at too. We're doing, we're working on interactive TV and all these other things. When the iPhone opportunity came up, none of us knew what we were doing. And we all had to rise to the challenge immediately. And I became a subject matter expert on mobile design right out the box. Yeah, yeah. Right the box and, and 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 was the go-to person i ended up developing mobile best practices for two digital design agencies as a result of my extreme exposure to to working in this arena so you know don't don't take this unplanned opportunity pathway for uh lightly don't take it lightly because it can be phenomenal uh the way the ai has come up for a lot of people now i've got to dive into ai a little bit more. I I don't like the 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 propositions that are coming up about it for the most part because most of what I see with AI is really has to do with using AI to do what I do better. And I'm like, I don't need I don't need a crutch, and I see it as a crutch. I know that AI is going to end up being a, a a good thing to use, but we've got to find the use cases from an from a UX practitioner perspective 
we need to solidify those before we can really make proper progress. And I know Dr. Nick and some other people are doing some things, uh, uh, Patrick Neiman. These people are doing some things with, with AI where they're finding good use cases for it. And, and 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 Dr. Nick is quick to say it's not supposed to replace us. It's it, if anything, it can enhance what we do, and it can be a a competitive differentiator when you're applying for a job in the future. But these people who keep trying to say, "Well, I need it to help me to I can interview AI. I don't even have to interview real users." See that kind of malpractice oriented stuff is is just it, it's too rampant today, mm-hmm. but. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn about it. Yeah, it, it doesn't definitely. But I think that up. yeah, UX designers absolutely need to be aware of AI and ML and be and and consciously think about what that means to them and how would they leverage it. Actually, yes. As opposed to think of it as an adversary. Yes, that's the word, leverage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leverage, leverage it. Uh, that is how we are. We, you know, humans are and will continue to be, maybe for a finite time, will continue to be the, the smarter of the species between, you know, human intelligence and AI. Mm-hmm. And we should not... <laughs> <laughs> Let AI spook us. Yes. For that, you are still going to need. The world still will need designers. It will still need engineers to get beyond the AI. So, do you know? Do not, uh, do not stress yourself that AI is going to mean less jobs for designers. No, your skills will evolve even beyond what you can imagine you're doing today. Yes. That is how we've evolved as a species, if you really think about it. Right, right, right. right. Well, we're going to consider this a bonus topic <laughs> because I yeah. think what we said here, people need to hear this as we, it, it's really critical. And if, if we can approach AI with a critical thinking mindset, which is all I'm advocating for, because some people are, you're against AI, not against AI. I'm against doing anything stupidly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know, I, I'm not against driving, but I, I don't want you to drive stupidly. So I'll speak about making sure to drive the right way so that you don't make any have any issues or uh, have any unnecessary rough spots. So I just want people to do things responsibly is the word that 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 I was thinking of that come to mind. We need to approach AI responsibly and to the great extent we're not. And so then I keep waving the flag and trying to get people, hey, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, I mean, I'm using AI in other arenas and it's phenomenal uh, when it comes to, uh, I mean, my photography work. I use AI in my photography work. Um, it, 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 I know how to use it to supplement what I'm doing. I know how to use it not to replace skill, but to enhance what yep. I produce. And and if we and that's what AI is really for. I don't know why people keep wanting to replace things. Um that that and that's where we have to come off of that that mindset. And this this whole learn UX in six months is part of the same mindset where people are trying to accelerate things 
instead of trying to supplement and and or, or trying to get somewhere in a, in a in an abnormally fast period of time when you if you get somewhere uh in 60 seconds go from 0 to 60 in 60 seconds but you don't understand the journey what did you accomplish by getting there in 60 seconds so or or getting going from 0 to 60 in 6 seconds so to speak it we we need to be willing to UXers uh and thinking again about the, the whole topic of of that transitioning into leadership and your own personal evolution we have this this thing where we're managing again our journey and we want to do it in a way that is void of dysfunctional contributing factors and so if we if we move too fast then we end up not understanding and appreciating the journey. If we move too fast, we, I mean, if you go through an art institute, I always like to use this metaphor. If you go into an art institute, you're not going to run through the institute. You're going to walk. You're going to be deliberately slow and you're going to be observant. And, and I think it's really important that we do the same thing as we develop, as we develop as UX professionals to move in a deliberate manner so that we can observe and digest everything that's happening to us so that we can progress in a way, walk through the art, observe through the Institute, observe the art, who created this, what the, maybe go and study some of the people who, who you have a greater appreciation when you go through an art Institute, when you learn something about the person who created the art, when you understand what their mindset was as they were creating the art, it, 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 there are different mindsets that we can have as we approach the art that help us to appreciate and digest it better. There are people who are growing in UX today that are moving so fast that they can't digest and understand things. And that has a way of sort of boomeranging back, boomerang, boomeranging, <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. it. boomeranging back at your development and short circuiting you. To an extent where you will eventually, I mean, I talk all the time about people who don't have an understanding or an appreciation for UX history. Not having an understanding and an appreciation for UX history causes people to be victimized by those who repackage old methods and methodologies and, and treat it as if it's something new. Uh, there are people, because they don't understand UX history, they are quicker to fall for a lot of different snake oil sales and different things and Kool-Aid. Uh, people offering them Kool-Aid, whereas if you knew, had knowledge of the history, you wouldn't fall for certain things and you'd be quicker to question certain things when it's time and appropriate to question certain things, it'd be done. So I hope people will will understand and embrace that and we'll all be better off for it the more people that do. So there's some interesting stuff there. Transitioning. So we had that bonus, having a healthy mindset or a healthy AI mindset <laughs> added in. Let's talk a little bit as we go into the home stretch here. Let's talk a little bit about the job market. I know you and I had a lot to say about this. I hope we remember everything <laughs> now that we're recording. But what are your thoughts about today's job market? I know we're going to really go back and forth on this part. What's happening in the job market today? Is it is it looking up now with all these layoffs that a lot of people have, have been subjected to and gone through? What are your thoughts about the today's UX job market at large? My opinion is that right now, it does seem like there are more opportunities, but I want to, I want to 
say, take, you know, take it with a grain of salt because this is an opinion only based on a very skewed uh, sample size because my network of professionals are all UX designers. Am I seeing, you know, is this a bias that I have just based on the sampling, right? Mm -hmm. of data that I have access to. So it does seem like there are more opportunities opening up. The trend, though, that at least in the few opportunities that I have looked at, uh, seem like there is an emphasis to go back on site, to go back to the office or be in a hybrid environment and I was hoping that having proved this, that we can function just as well or even better remotely mm -hmm. is a situation that we would have learned from and transitioned from for good, for the greater good of people so that they can live better lives and use their time wisely with their family right? As opposed to commuting to work and so forth. So it's an interesting landscape that I will continue watching and and seeing how that progresses over time. Yes. Yes. It, it is interesting. And especially as we move into, I mean, different companies have different um, uh, financial schedules. And so some companies are coming up on the end of the year, some companies are, um, I mean, they, they they don't end their finance their fiscal year until December, um, and and come, a lot of companies people don't realize they're making decisions based on that. And something else I mentioned uh, before we started recording too, and I I want this to be out there. I, I would love to learn more about this. I felt that I got what I'm about to mention from a reliable source, um, but it's interesting that. Someone mentioned to me that the government is actually incentivizing companies to lay people off, that that was something, a hidden factor associated with a lot of the layoffs that were taking place um, because of how they wanted to, the layoff some kind of way. And I don't understand it, even after the person explained to me, I still don't get it, but it seems backwards to me, but they feel that the layoffs help to have a positive impact on inflation uh i don't know how that works so maybe somebody else does i to me from a novice perspective when it comes to things like that if people have jobs they spend more money so i don't get it if, if people are laid off they don't spend as much money so i i don't from that perspective and i think a lot of other people are probably with me we don't understand that but i, I would hope that uh, whether that's accurate or not and i don't know that's, of course, I'm not an expertise in that arena, so I don't know. But yeah. I would hope that um, that this will change <laughs> in the not-too-distant future. I've been in corporate America since 1982, and I was laid off recently. And, and, and it's the first time I've ever been laid off in my life. Had nothing to do with performance. Had nothing to do with anything like that. Totally budgetary-related uh, at a company whose the end of their fiscal year was approaching. And, yeah. uh, and so, and they wanted to have good effect or, or impact on the end of end of the year and they cut budgets and it just so happened that projects I was working on 
were impacted by those budget cuts. Um, it would, I hope that it changes because I had always been of the impression, it was always my thought that UX was a was a discipline that was recession proof. And just throwing that in here. Now, I'm not saying we're in a recession, but I think it's related. I, I, you always need people that are working on qualified people back up, qualified people to work on your UX. Because if you don't, all businesses are, all companies, I should say, are in business to make money. UX, when done right, has tremendous impact always on the bottom line of a company's operation. So I was always of the mindset. I mean, I never, when we went through, they said we were in a recession years ago. There were no layoffs back then when that recession took place. The companies had a better understanding and they knew how to value UX more. It, it, it It's weird when you consider that UX maturity has regressed in the last five years. And so since that recession, and then now, and a lot of crazy hiring practices that a lot of companies have engaged with as well resulted in UX people being uh, laid off. And 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 the companies still hire people who really don't understand UX to run their UX operations. And I've talked about that on other episodes. And we won't get into that today because we'll go down a rabbit hole. I don't think we want go to go down right now. But But I do hope that we see a rebound in the job market. It does appear that there's a lot more positions of note that are uh, being open open roles that are showing up. Although people like me are not, they're not, companies are not quick to interview people like me. Um, they don't want people, and people say, I've said this before, and, and the, that long series I did about the job, the, the UX job market, companies say they want UX people and they don't. And you can tell by the people who tell you about the rejection notices they get, as well as when you find out who got hired. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Manisha. No, I was I was just saying, Dan, you said so much over there that makes sense. Uh, a couple of things that stood out to me, the, the whole government, uh, the thing that you were talking about, my speculation about that is only that is you know cities and states incentivize organizations so that they can come and make you know have a presence in a given state right those are incentives uh for the state because it's bringing in employment mm -hmm. the pandemic sort of reset that all of a sudden people realize that they could be anywhere and still operate uh and still be productive which means that people are no longer tethered to a particular <laughs> location yeah right which in over long term might disincentivize states or local government cities mm -hmm. uh from having workforce or a community so uh, the only thing that I, you know, like the thread that I feel like or connect dots is are the city planners and, uh, you know, officials wanting these employers to lay off their remote workforce and then 
have a strategic plan to rehire them on site or come back so that they can revive their downtowns, they can revive all the old office buildings that are laid bare, right? Like, I, I can't, and, and again, this is a speculation, I have no evidence, but I wonder if that is what triggered, because otherwise you would think that, why would you want to do that? Um, as far as UX designers being recession-proof, absolutely. Bef and I actually put this blame largely on the organizations that just went crazy nuts over <laughs> on this firing spree yeah, uh, because they were riding the tide of the pandemic and wanted to cash in on everything that the pandemic was bringing in. And they just had this knee-jerk reaction of getting hold of anybody who had a title of a UX researcher or a designer and hiring these people. Uh, fast forward to late last year and this year, all of a sudden, they realized that due to inflation, a lot of those projects are either on hold or uh, have disappeared, and now they cannot retain the staff. Mm -hmm. And probably also realized that on this crazy hiring spree, they have hired people who are less than desirable. Simply because they had a title, which at some point, Darren, we should talk about UX appropriation. There has been happening where the title or what UX uh you know, brings to the table, you know, to the table has been appropriated by other agencies or other disciplines with our, which are encroaching Ooh. on this. It's crazy. And it's yeah. part of it, I feel, is, uh, you know, due to the rise of uh, the, you know, your boot camps or other people who just want to cash in on that. UX is one of those disciplines that are, you know, are high paying, highly skilled on par with other, uh, you know, roles such as product managers or engineers uh, is, is a point of envy for other fields where you are not compensated as highly. And so there's appropriation because, oh, uh, we see that this is a creative role. How may we steal uh, this title? Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's where you see things like the democratization. Yes. Come into play. Um, and, and, and sadly, there are people in the UX community who are getting rich off of it. Um, yeah. The whole everybody's a designer mindset. Yeah, you have a famous yeah. unnamed person, although everybody's going to know who I'm talking about here. Oh, I know too. <laughs> I mean, they'll say everybody's a designer, knowing good and well that everybody's not. 
and they know good and well that this is a science. And and they say everybody's a designer, and they use the word design loosely or designer loosely. And when they say that, they're looking at, I mean, anybody can go in a room. We we just had a workshop uh here locally. Uh something is called painting with a twist. Everybody, everybody painted something. Everybody produced something. Right. Uh, and, and the mindset is that anybody can design. That's where they come up with anybody's a everybody's a designer mindset. But but when it comes to coming together and everybody painting something and throwing something on canvas, everybody painted something. Nobody did anything scientifically, and you couldn't sell everything that came out of there. And 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 when you look at the everybody's a designer mindset, um, everybody is not a UX designer. UX is a science. Yeah, it's a science. We're scientists, technically speaking. And I was just telling somebody earlier about a situation where the the way that that everybody the appropriation is taking place that that's part of where the whole design thinking workshop and all that stuff come together. Where can design thinking workshops work? Yeah, I mean, and I know because I know that design thinking is nothing but rebranded UX work. That's really all that it is. Yeah. But, but and I love I love the mindset of how you can get how often can you get all of these stakeholders and people in one place and get them to commit to being there for that period of time. I say, do it and take advantage of the time. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care what you call it. Do it and take advantage of the time because you can get a lot of great information out of these people together at the, and to get them all together at the same time, let alone getting them for any length of time. But the thing that, that hits me about this is these people. And the thing I was telling somebody about earlier these people who appropriate our work, they don't understand it. And so when somebody tries to do something that it takes a specialized set of knowledge and skill to do, there's no way in the world you're going to arrive at the same conclusion. There's no way. And then what I was telling somebody about earlier today was how that somebody, they, they, there were people who were trying to understand it. One job I had, they were trying to understand what I did. And I'm always willing to share. Keep in mind, I'm not going to tell them, yeah, this is what I do. And by the way, you can't do it. You know, I'm not going to say that. But I, if you want to learn more about it, I know that helping people understand is a part of driving and managing UX maturity. So I'm going to do it. But what I found was that people would listen to me and then they would go out and try to do what I said I was doing. I gave you a Reader's Digest condensed version. I gave you a high a, a, a bird's eye view, not detail. You you can't do that. And, and and I saw people trying to go and take requirements and then try to devise something, try to digest those. And I'm not saying that product managers and product owners and other people can't do that. They can. You just simply, but you can't do it. Figure that you reach the conclusion that you digested the requirements and then come back, make some decisions, and then come back to the UX person and then give orders. UX people are not order takers. And, and I was in situations where people tried to reduce the UX people to order takers. And okay, and you came up with stuff. Hey, I appreciate the work. You want to collaborate on this? Fine. I'm good with that. I'm still comfortable in my skin and I'm still not moving. So 
if you came up with stuff and you feel like you want to give me orders, you you basically just stripped me of the authority associated with the work that I do. I You feel that you understand the requirements, but I still don't. So I still need to see the requirements and I still need to digest it. And, and that's the kind of stuff that's happening with this appropriation where people want to remove us from the equation and then demote us. And corporations have been trying to, to reduce our salaries and strip us down for years. And that's just a it's just an evolved version of it when somebody does something like that. For those of you listening to the show and don't know, UX people are not order takers. We digest. We make recommendations. We are leaders. And when people try to re- reduce us to being less than a leader, that's a proposition that's not that's not on the table. You may try. You may do it. Not going to work. And 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 it's going to take UX. UX is going to have the what people are the seeds that I'm talking about. You know, you call it appropriation. I always called it the siege. That's what I've always referred to it as. And if the siege continues, it's UX is going to have to explode for people to realize we were wrong. Let's leave it to the experts. The question is, who's going to be left when all that dust settles? Because it's happening as we speak. And as you said, Manisha, it's, it's happening. and But it's not happening for the good of the business. It's not happening for the good of the users. And it's, people are not going to realize that it doesn't work until they see profits dwindle. They're not going to recognize yeah. so the UX people already see it, but nobody listens to us because they're always always trying to look at us as if we not, we're not we're not saying anything of note anyway. I remember people saying that's your opinion. No, it's an expert opinion. The question is, how long will it take for you to realize that? Yeah, and and <laughs> I I so hear you on that. And and for me, uh, the way I see it is that I will continue getting frustrated if, you know, if I respond to a lot of that. I, I do as much as I can. And at the end of the day, I, I just choose to preserve my sanity and not and hope that there will just be a calling yeah. that will allow, you know, the best to rise to the top. Right. So that, in, you know, so that businesses or anything that uh, any entity that wants to work, uh, you know, needs UX designers don't get scammed or, you know, don't get scammed, essentially. Right. The value that UX yeah. provides uh, will will prevail. I, I've seen it. I, I personally yeah. Uh, have experienced it and have been fortunate to preserve that within the organizations that I've worked in. So it does, you know, that that makes me feel very optimistic. Um, my only concerns are over this indiscriminate rise of, uh, a, you know, fake ux <laughs> or fall ux whatever you want to call it yeah right because that is that is harming the ux community that is uh taking us back to where we started from and undoing a lot of the strides that we made in upholding ux as a core business competency right Mm-hmm. And 
that is what frustrates me the most. It is not the individuals. It's the rhetoric and the narrative that keeps emerging with, uh, you know, whether that's democratizing, whether that's saying that anybody can design, whether that's saying that design is easy. Yep. Contrary to think about it, good design is difficult, actually. Yes. <laughs> Love good that. Design, yeah. <laughs> good design is hard. Design is not easy. It only looks easy. It's because there's a lot of people who've put in hard work to make it look easy. And that's the whole, that's the irony behind it. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it is. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Last topic. Last topic. And this was the this probably the biggest one of all from a potential time consumer, but we'll see where it goes. Um, we were talking about UX, the use of UX slash UI. And I've already quoted you. Because <laughs> I love what you said. I've said it before, but you said it differently, and I like the way you said it. Better, you talked about UX slash UI from a grammatical perspective or from a, a structural perspective. And I just I I just start cracking up like, yes, you you're right. You can't people don't realize what they're saying when they say UX UI. And I'm sort of getting ahead of it already, but let's just talk about anything related to UX UI. And you can repeat what you said about the 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 uh, what that means, the 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 use of the slash and what it implies and things of that nature. But this will be our closing topic. So go ahead and take it away, Manisha. Yeah, I mean, the forward slash, if you really think as a punctuation that's used in English, is to mean or. Uh-huh. So when you say UX, UI, you're essentially saying UX or UI. There is nothing or about UX... <laughs> And UI, it is UX and UI. That still makes sense. Yes. If you still say UX, you probably will include UI in it. So mm -hmm. I hate how UX UI has become a thing. And it totally like I start, <laughs> I just lose it. I have to stop and get on my soapbox every single time I see it. And I've started seeing organizations do it. Yeah. I've started seeing so-called coaches, life coaches and career coaches and design experts do it. And all I want to tell them is stop. Yeah. What are you trying to create here? And what is the agenda behind this? Because there's no such thing as UX, UI. There's no such thing as UI, UX. Mm -hmm. Quit saying that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's supposed to be either or. Either or. You could say and. You really can't say or. It's it's. Yeah. I had a, a a social media post where I, I I visualized this 
and I and I was talking about what pe- that people don't know what they're saying when they say it. They definitely don't know the impact that it has when people hear it, which is supposed to be what we do. We're supposed to know how things impact the people who partake with what we do. And we're supposed to change and alter. We're supposed to modify. We're supposed to come up with whatever. We're, we don't just hear it and do nothing. So UX people are supposed to be aware of how things impact people and then and then change accordingly or move accordingly. Uh, and, and you see people that say, or, or, or on the social media posts, you see people that say it, and I took UX and made it bigger. Uh, for those who can digest what I'm about to say, UX was presented in like a font size of about 250 pixels. And UI, then there was a slash. And the slash UI was about 20 pixels. UX is so much more than UI that saying it with a slash does a gross disservice to the people who hear it. To the people who are still learning about UX, when they hear UX slash UI, people are actually being taught that they're interchangeable. Yeah. They're taught that they're interchangeable. So now here you are trying to learn about UX and somebody is teaching you something completely different. They're teaching you something you're going to have to unlearn. And then the people who hear it, then they go out and start saying it. So it's, it's almost like <laughs> it's, it's almost like a disease because people hear it and then they go and they carry it to somebody else. And everybody who embraces it and duplicates it is doing, they're spreading the disservice even further. So it, it, it's really important that people understand that UX is not UI. UI is not UX. UI is a subset of UX, just like information architecture is, and just like UX research is, and just like heuristics and usability and, and interaction and interface design itself. Because you can't even have UI without interaction design principles. If yeah. you you just have an interface and God help the people who are trying to use it. So yeah. all of these things, UX is an umbrella term. There is yeah. no UX slash nothing. You can't say UX slash IA. You can't say UX slash UX research. You can't say UX slash slash usability. It's they're all under. They're all a part of. They all came together. We all know them as UX principles. And so we were we say UX as a catch-all. Actually. And and people need to learn that. They need to understand that. Everybody who doesn't know that, we're all in this together and we all impact one another. But some of us are doing things that are detrimental to the discipline, and and and, and some of us are are making ourselves responsible for trying to help people to overcome that. Not because we're on a high horse, but because we care about the direction and the state of the discipline. Yeah. And when people embrace things that are ridiculous, you know, it it, it actually makes you think about something you said earlier, where people with the fake UX. Would you would you embrace anybody who brought you counterfeit money? I'd say no. Nobody wants a counterfeit. Nobody wants anybody handing them counterfeit money. So when when somebody hands you something and says, "Hey, here's some resources to help you learn more about UXUI," they're offering you something that's the equivalent of giving you counterfeit money. In other words, they're they're giving you something that eventually the only way that you can get away with passing that tender off 
in in conducting a transaction is because the people receiving it don't know it. And so now people think that things have value because something is received when the truth is the only reason they received it is because they don't know any better. And and I think people <laughs> need to understand the gravity of the situation here they as don't. well. Yep. Would you would you trust uh would you trust a person just having a title of a surgeon without actually having yeah. the experience and the certification uh and a degree, whatever you want to call that endorsement of actually being you know, being a surgeon. No, you would not. UX is actually one of those core disciplines which makes which actually makes a difference not just in people's lives but you gotta think about situations like ux is part of cockpit designs in airplanes it is part of hospitals and healthcare it is part of so many different things we are you know ux designers uh are have you know are part of the team that builds turn-by-turn directions, mm -hmm. uh, all of which can act, you know, impact people's lives. You do not want to trust people who have a fake title. So please be very cognizant of whom you're promoting, whom you're democratizing UX for, because you have an internal agenda of selling your own wares, right? <laughs> You're selling your business. You've got a training plan that is targeted to product managers or business analysts. And you're saying, hey, you, do you know that anybody can design? Come, I got a training program for you. <laughs> yeah. And that's what they do. I, I, I didn't mention that. That's what they're doing with everybody's a designer bit. <laughs> they, they say everybody's a designer. Then people go, oh, really? And then people, because they want to be a designer, they opt in to that false rhetoric. And the person who said it, said it because he's the one that's going to come to you, come to you later and teach you how to design. Of course, for $25,000, dollars $50,000. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a racket. And, and we need to we need to evict the racket yeah. from ranks. We need to evict it so we can be. It, it's it's not until the the there's I call it the cult of UX and there's pure UX, and yeah. until, until pure pure UX reigns, uh, we're not going to be respected. We're not going to be respected as this one because the leadership they see the the guff. That folks are putting out there they see it they they may not see it initially but eventually they will they're smart people that's why they're in their c-suite they're smart <laughs> they yeah. have some yeah. sense and 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 they see the gobbledygook and they don't want it and that's also behind a lot of the the layoffs and things like that it's it's all connected so we need to rise up as a discipline together and do the right things and when we do we'll we'll benefit for it and i i hope to see good things for the discipline in the future, but right now we're we're cutting through the we're cutting through the bush, so to speak, uh, of the discipline. We're in a we're in a rough way. We're we're fighting the siege that I always talk about, and that's where we are. But if we rise up, embrace real UX, do things the right way, 
put things back where they belong, stop putting square pegs and round holes, and vice versa, uh, then we'll 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 start to reap the benefits of of proceeding in such a, an honorable fashion. The honorable uh, process generates honorable results. And I think everybody would love to see honorable results, except for the people that don't want to learn and don't want to do, but that'll take me down, down another street. <laughs> but th this has been dynamite, uh, Manisha. We got to do this again. And and uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to share with people in the UX community. People are going to absolutely love this. And uh, do you have any any closing words for the audience today before we sign off? I just want to say thank you, Darren, for, for inviting me to share my thoughts. It's been an honor and it's just been such great conversations, right? Although the topics were so diverse, mm -hmm. I felt like we were just transitioning into it, which is the beauty of uh, people who've, who've done the things and had uh, you know, have experienced a wide variety of uh, flavors of UX over the course of the years. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many topics that I would love, uh, you know, one day to come back there and, and talk. One particular one that's close to my heart is that uh, I'm, I'm starting to see things that are concerning me around the UX community where there's not enough inclusion and diversity mm -hmm. as a person of color, as a woman and a person of color, I am dismayed at how we are systematically shut down mm -hmm. in our voice on social media platforms. I do not see any kinship or part you know par partisanship being extended and that to me is concerning i think that's a topic that i would love to yeah. share with you and i think you would also have experiences that you'd be able to share on that oh yeah absolutely let's get that on the calendar let's do that absolutely, absolutely. yeah all right well thank you again manisha Thank you to all our listeners out there, but it is time to wrap this episode up. So until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, remember, as always, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.